You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Let's pray, church. So, Father, here we go right now. We are gathered as your family, as your bride, as your people. And I pray, Lord, I pray right now, this is such an important moment. We would sense it, Lord, singing the words of praise and glory to you. About now to open up the living and active word of God, which God has written in a book and has preserved it for us to see and hear and to know the very will of God. So here we go, Father. Here we go. I pray you would speak powerfully. I pray you would speak in such encouragement and yet conviction. I pray you would speak in such a way, Father, that our lives would be transformed and changed. Please, Lord, every heart here, every single heart here, Lord, would you supernaturally interact with today. Again, we are here for a purpose. The Lord is speaking. The Lord will speak. It is promised as his word is open. And so I pray faith even rises now. We are listening, oh God. As your people, we are listening. Yes, it's a nice day outside. Yes, there's leisure all around us. Yes, the practical things of life so often we do. But right now is a holy moment. Right now is the moment we gather to hear together God himself. So use it. Oh God, we ask, powerfully lead us to you. And forever change us, I pray. As your people, again, anything but going through the motions. Anything but that, God. Anything but apathy, anything but lethargy, anything but complacency, passion, fervency, knowledge of God, love for the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Upon this church, upon this people, upon this time, I pray. And if you agree, you can say a big hearty, amen, and please be seated as you do. Indeed, let's do this, loved ones. Let's do this and open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. And as you open your Bible to Jonah chapter 2, I pray you are expecting God to interact with you. Just so we're clear, we have, Lord willing, three weeks left in Jonah that will take us to the end of our ministry year. Okay, so uh, this weekend included, and then two more, and we'll finish up Jonah, Jonah 2, 3, and then 4, and then we are finished uh, for the ministry year, and again, that's all in the category of Lord willing. As this takes us to the end of our ministry year, next weekend is our church barbecue. As we heard, what an exciting time that is. I pray that you will choose to come to this service as opposed to the next service where everyone comes to that service and then stays after. But you come to this service, you can hang around and... Uh, help people, love people, whatever, and then come and, of course, return for the barbecue. Last year, I think we had over 2,500 people that were here in some form or fashion. All these thousands of people driving by. Some pull up and say, can I join the party? Like, yeah, come on in, come on in, and get to share the love of Christ with them as well, all right? So it's such a great time for us as a church. Then the following weekend, we have our celebration year-end service with baptisms. That's a weekend we come, and, and the God's people gather, and baptisms are here, and the Word of God is shared, and prayers are offered. We just celebrate the grace of our God. It's the grace of our God that has allowed us to see anything of any good at all. And so that weekend, I mean, you're fired up today, I think, but, but two weeks from now, you come ready. The choir is going to be here. It's going to be just a joyful, joyful time where we kind of take our ministry here and we say, God, thank you. Thank you for the grace that you've shown to us. So that's 
Father's Day weekend, June 20th and 21st, it's going to be quite a party. And then after that, our amazing summer preaching lineup begins with many gifted men within our church and also gifted pastors within the Harvest family will be here uh, for a series of weeks. And it's an exciting lineup that is coming to bless our church as well uh, through um, a portion of our summer. All right, Jonah chapter 2 again is where we are. We have seen quite... A series of events unfold before us in the story of Jonah. Let me just remind you, um, Jonah has been called. Jonah has rebelled. Then Jonah took off. And then Jonah found his way on a ship to, uh, to Tarshish. And I just want to remind you, as God said, go to Nineveh, and Jonah's like, no, 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 I'm going somewhere else. He goes down to Joppa, and then he flees to Tarshish. You might remember this from week one, but here's a map just showing you the extent of Jonah's disobedience. If you missed this in week one, this is worth catching up with. So, so Jonah's up here in northern Israel somewhere, and God's like, go to Nineveh, and he's like, I don't think so. So he goes down to Joppa south, and then he heads west 2,500 miles away to Tarshish. That's where he's trying to get to. Really, he couldn't go any farther away from what God had asked him to do. This was the place that Jonah's heart was in or the place that Jonah's heart was not in. So Jonah gets to Joppa. He boards a ship. He falls asleep in the cabin of this boat. And listen, this is when God starts to move. We're learning within Jonah God will allow us for a time to move in our own devices and according to our own will. He will allow us at times to seemingly proceed in our sin or proceed in our will over his. But there will come a time when God goes, bam, and he stops and he starts to move in our lives, stops us and move in our lives. And at that point, God will catch up to us and God will win. Why will God catch up to us? Because he's really fast. All right? We're learning that as well. He's faster than us. He catches us and he starts to exercise his will in us as well. So Jonah's falling asleep in the cat. God hurls a storm, literally, God hurled a storm upon this ship. The crew start to panic. They start casting lots under God's sovereignty. Who's responsible for this? God points them to Jonah. Jonah is the reason. Jonah says, listen, it's my fault. Throw me overboard. They say, no, let's row harder. Let's try to save him. God increases the severity of the storm. Jonah's finally like, it's me. They finally say, we're so sorry about this. They toss him overboard. And at last we left Jonah. He was swallowed up by a great fish that God had appointed. Who's in charge? God's in charge. That God had appointed, and he would be there, the text says, for three days and three nights. So it's here as Jonah is tossed overboard. We can only imagine what's going through his mind. But it's here as he lands in the raging sea. It's here in the storm of life that God has presented to him to get his heart. It's here that Jonah is swallowed up by this great fish. And it's here he realizes that, wait, I'm not dead. Wait, I'm in this crazy place of darkness, and yet I'm still alive. And it's here we see a combination of many things happening within Jonah's life. We see distress kick in. We see desperation kick in. But listen, we also know Jonah starts to sense, I'm not dead yet. God's not done with me yet. He starts to sense deliverance. And when he senses deliverance, really this passage in Jonah 2 today is like a psalm of Jonah. It's very similar to themes and structures of psalms all throughout the Bible. And here in the psalm of Jonah, it turns into a psalm of almost thanksgiving, or it does turn into thanksgiving on the way. Remember, loved ones, the sovereignty of God is a massive theme throughout Jonah. 
God is moving, listen, God is moving to move his servant. God is moving, why? To gather the heart of his servant. God is moving to change the life of his servant. And you and I, listen, you and I are no different. God will move to move us. God moves in my life and your life to move us. And as God starts to move, this is what starts to happen a lot of the time. As God moves in our lives to get us from disobedience to obedience and love for him, often distress will kick in in our lives. Often desperation will kick in in our lives. Often, though, as we sense God moving and orchestrating through the difficulties of our lives, we sense deliverance as well. God is doing this because he loves me, and then we sense thanksgiving coming upon our lives as well. And that's why this sermon title then is entitled, Distressed, Desperate, and Delivered. And we're going to see, just like Jonah, we find ourselves in this place over and over again. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Check it out. Make sure you have a Bible in front of you, okay? The Bible is what changes your life. No words of man, words of God, okay? Words of God. The Bible changes your life. Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord of my distress. There it is. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, he's saying, out of the belly of hell itself, I cried. And you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. Your waves and billows, they passed over me. Notice what he says in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. But here's the hope. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The water closed in. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, here's hope again. You brought up my life from the pit. He senses deliverance, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Now perspective starts to take place. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, this is a great line, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, you see? You see, Jonah's starting to see. But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. And here's the sentence that changes everything. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God brought Jonah to the point where all he could muster at the end of this is salvation belongs to the Lord. And then notice verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Who's in charge? Uh, God's in charge. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Notice in our story, through chapter 1, now through chapter 2, Jonah has run. Jonah has been caught by God. And listen, and now Jonah calls out to God. You want some application here? When you're caught by God, you're calling God. When God catches you, you're calling him. When you're genuinely caught by God, when he has chosen you and he pursues you and he grabs a hold onto your heart, listen, when he catches you, you're calling to him. Because when he catches you, you realize that all I got is him. I got nothing else but him. So when he catches you, you're calling out. And many of us in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. Praise the Lord. And this is what we see within our lives before God. And this is what we see in Jonah. This is what we see in us. When God pursues us in the same way, there are certain things That will certainly happen within our lives. Here's number one. It's this. When in darkness, I will call for his light. When God pursues us, loved ones, and when he catches us, and we start to see, as we're called to see, when I'm in darkness, without a doubt, I will call for his light. Look at verse one. Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. 
He says, I called out to the Lord of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Notice, for you cast me into the deep, the heart of the seas, the floods surrounded me, your waves and your billows passed over me. I want you to see in verse 1, as we carry on from chapter 1, I want you to notice Jonah has run, Jonah's Jonah has rebelled, and Jonah has even recalled truth about God. That's all through chapter 1. He got to the point where he's like, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. He's recalling truth about God, but I want you to notice this. Here in chapter 2, verse 1, is the first time that Jonah has actually prayed. It's the first record or indication where Jonah actually prays. Now, in the middle of the storm in chapter 1, the sailors are praying. They're going crazy. They're praying to anyone they can think of. The captain comes up and wakes up Jonah and says, What are you doing, sleeper? Wake up and call it to your God. But there's still no record that Jonah actually did pray. Here, though, after being tossed overboard, after being swallowed by a great fish, is the first time that we see for sure that Jonah actually was brought to the place of humiliation, humility, and dependence where he actually began to call upon the light and strength of his God. Again, he's sailing the belly of this great fish. That has to be total and complete darkness. Don't you agree? It just has to be. There's no light in the fish's belly. He's alone. He's helpless. He's distressed. And notice this. Therefore, he prays. Now, I want you to notice Look at how far God has to take Jonah until he gets Jonah to the place that he actually begins to really pray. I mean really pray. Not some Christianese prayer, not some offering up some stuff for God to bless my day and blah, 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 blah. Like where he really prays a prayer of distress in the deliverer of his God. God has to bring a storm upon his life. God has to take sailors and throw them overboard. God has to get a fish and swallow him up to contain him in complete loneliness and darkness. And only then will Jonah actually pray to his God. Really, really pray. Let me ask us a question. How far does God have to take you and me to get us to the point where we really pray? I'm not talking about Christianese prayers. I'm not talking about prayers offering up to our vending machine God, rubbing the genie bottle and saying, God, give me what I want for this day. Make it about me, not you. I'm not talking about that at all. How far does God have to take you and I to get us to the place where we really pray? Like, really pray? And that's a great question. And this is what we see within the life of Jonah. See, God loves Jonah too much and us too much to let us go so far without reminding us of what life is really about. I mean, I need you to look at verse 3. Notice the testimony from Jonah regarding what happened to him. He says in verse 3, For you, God, for you cast me into the deep. Now, this is amazing, because if you're following the story of Jonah, you're like, God cast him into the deep? Well, any, any child, and a child should kind of recognize this, and we should too. Well, I, I thought the sailors cast him into the deep. It was the sailors that were going, and a one, and a two, and they threw him overboard like that. It's the sailors that did it, right, Dad? It's the sailors, right, Mom? How, how can Jonah say God did it? See, here's what we're seeing under the sovereignty of God. The primary cause of Jonah being thrown overboard was God. The secondary cause were the sailors. God is the one orchestrating these events to put Jonah in a place of tremendous darkness and desperation that he might call out for the light and the deliverance of his God. So often in life, we look at the circumstances of the sailors 
and all we see are the sailors. They threw me overboard, threw me overboard, threw me overboard. How could this be? I feel sorry for myself. My life is so hard. What's going on? And we forget to see the instrument hand of God working behind the scenes to understand that often God will take the sailors and use them and toss us over because he loves us too much not to. Jonah was in a place of brokenness and desperation. He saw, he saw God is the one who cast me into the deep. The wondrous sovereignty of God. He doesn't hesitate for a second. God, you did this to me. He knows who's in charge. He's trusting the the rulership of God and in his sovereignty and the plan of God. And notice in verse 13, notice God's love, or verse 3. Notice God's love in verse 3 as God casts him overboard. Notice the details. He cast him into the deep. He cast him into the heart of this raging storm. He cast him so that floods surrounded him. He cast him into the deep that waves and billows were, were covering and passing over him. That's a pretty significant trial that God is orchestrating for Jonah's life. But hear this, love. Ones. Look right here, look right here, look right here. It's the love of God that's doing this. Don't you see? It's the love of God that knows all that is choosing to understand the best thing for Jonah right now is not peace and security and safety. It's distress and desperation that he might find out who is really his deliverer. Now what's interesting for us is that we often desperately try to avoid situations just like this. We often in our flesh, we don't want the storms. We don't want to be tossed over. We certainly don't want some big fish coming swallowing us up. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be in darkness. I get that. I don't want it either. But the reality is, unless our hearts are where they need to be before the Lord, God in his kindness, his grace, his mercy, and his sovereignty will at times arrange storms for our lives to get us in a place where we begin to call for his light. If we're in a place of apathy and lethargy and complacency and all we're doing is trying to live our life in our way again with ease and comfort and no risk for the gospel at all and just living our life on our own pursuit of our own idolatry and self, that's not the will of God. We think it is because it's about us, but we're lying to ourselves. And so what God does, he puts us in places of darkness or loneliness or desperation that we might begin to call for his light. Now look at the undeniable result now of verse 2. Notice this. Jonah the obstinate rebel has now become Jonah the desperate prayer. I mean, he's a, he's a stubborn rebel. Now he's desperate for God. He says, I called out. I cried. You heard my voice. In the midst of darkness, he cries for light. Now, are you able to see this? Are we able to see how our darkest times can actually lead to our brightest times? If God let Jonah go to Tarshish, none of this is happening. His heart's not changed. The brokenness isn't there. Can we see, can we see how defeat in our lives can lead to desperation? Can we see how suffering can lead to supplication? It's what Jonah desperately ran from. Notice this. What he desperately ran from is now what he desperately clings to. The very thing he fought so hard against. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm going to Tarshish. I'm fleeing from the presence of God. The very thing he fought so hard against is now the very person that becomes his very and only salvation. That's amazing. You see that? See that? Oh, can we see the grace of God within his sovereignty? Can we, can we stop 
fighting and surrender to the will of God. It's the sovereignty of God that's over the trials of our lives and even God's sovereignty that brings about the trials of our lives. But can we see it? Can we see it? Because if we can't see it, then we can't move on to maturity because all we do is complain and feel sorry for ourselves that we're in this predicament again. But everything changes as we gain perspective. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said on this exact truth, this brilliant illustration. When I first read this, that it meant so much to me. I pray it does for you too. This is what he says. Can you see the trial and what's happening? Tozer says, the hammer is a useful tool. But the nail, if it had feeling and intelligence, could present another side of the story. For the nail knows that the hammer is only as, a, as, as an opponent or a brutal, merciless enemy who lives to pound it into submission, to beat it down out of sight, and to clinch it into place. That is the nail's view of the hammer. And it is accurate except for one thing. The nail forgets that both it and the hammer are servants of the same workman. Let the nail but remember that the hammer is held by the workman and all resentment towards the hammer will disappear. You get that? The carpenter decides whose head shall be beaten next and what hammer shall be used in the beating. That is his sovereign right. Here's the key. When the nail has surrendered to the will of the workman and has gotten a little glimpse of his benevolent plans for its future, it will yield to the hammer without complaint. You follow that? In my life, as a nail, if all I look at is the hammer beating me down, I resent the hammer. I become bitter at the hammer. I feel so terrible for myself because the hammer won't stop pounding me. But the moment I begin to see that the hammer is held by the master workman who rules the universe and only has my best interest in mind, the moment I see the hammer is held by someone who loves me is the moment everything changes in my perspective. I cease to resent the hammer and I start to believe that the workman has a plan that he is pounding out to see my life through in the midst of the trials, difficulties, and storms. Now, what I just shared with you, that's not for the immature. The immature really could hear that, but don't want it. Because ultimately, we want it to be about us. But the mature in Christ say, it's right. That's true. This is what God does. He loves me so much. He will at times bring hammers into my life to work out his salvation upon me. When I am in darkness, when I'm in darkness, I will call out for his light. Number two is this. When I am distant, I will long for his presence. When I am distant, I will long for his presence. Look now at verse four. Jonah says, then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped all about me as the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Notice, O Yahweh, O Lord, my God. Verse 4 specifically, what demands our attention here, I want you to see it. Jonah says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Now what this tells us here, okay, this is, this is, this is key. Jonah's true pain right now is not being in the belly of this fish. Jonah's true pain is that he has been removed from the presence of God. Then I am driven away from your sight. That's his concern. Remember, Jonah, after all, was God's prophet. Jonah was God's servant. Now Jonah finds out he's in God's discipline. 
Remember, remember, Jonah's very goal within chapter 1 was to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to get out from under God's conviction and God's presence. He told the sailors he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. But notice this, the very thing he was fleeing from has now become his greatest pain. Do you see that? I want to flee from God's presence, but then he's in the place of brokenness, and his greatest pain is the fact that he's fleeing from God's presence. Oh, believer, wake up. Wake up right now. Wake up. Wake up. When we pursue our sin, when we go for our own path, when we seek our own desires, the very thing that we pursue becomes the very pain of our lives. The very thing we want to fulfill ourselves in this world and our flesh, that will be the thing that hurts us the most. That we have grieved the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have filled our lives with sin, but then we stop and we say, oh, if only I could have the presence of God back. Because there's nothing that equates with the presence of the Lord in our lives. And this is what Jonah's doing. I want to flee. Now he's like, oh, I've been gone. I need to get back. Learn from Jonah. Learn from the reality that sin does not pay. Wake us up, Lord. Help us to see this. When we run from God, we run from joy. When we run from God, we run from peace. When we run from God, we run from blessing. When we run from God, we run from life itself. When we run to sin, that fleshly desires becomes the very prison that we sit in. I want alcohol. I want lust. I want greed. I want self. I want me. And all those things, alcohol, lust, greed, envy, bitterness, self, sin, this becomes the prison that we sit in. Don't you see greed bankrupts your heart? Don't you see envy rots your heart? Don't you see self rots, hollows out your heart? Don't you see that pursuit of self and materialism and the things of the world break down our hearts? The very thing we run to so often is the very thing that imprisons us. And here's Joan. He's like, I want to get away from the Lord. And he's like, oh man, you've, I've been driven away from your sight. Anything now to get back. Anything now to get back where I actually belong. And so God will allow us at times to sink down to the depths of our misery until we see the grace of his deliverance. But that can be convicting, but notice the hope in verse four. Look at the hope. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. What's this? This is a statement of grace. Now the holy temple, Jonah as God's prophet, he would know for sure the holy temple signified the place where the presence of God dwelt. The very thing he longs for the most is the presence of God within his life. There's no place the servant of God would rather be. There's no place the child of God could be more safe than the presence of God. In Jonah's hardness of heart and sin, he couldn't see it. In fact, he's like, I want to flee from God's presence. But now he is broken. Now he is repentant. And notice, and all he wants now is the presence of God within his life. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple and see it. This is why the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See that? Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but then God brought affliction into my life because he loves me so much, and now I keep your word. No wonder the psalmist declared, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see what brokenness does? It says, I will be anything in the presence in the house of God. Anything. For a, a, a day is better than a thousand years elsewhere. Especially when compared to the tents of the wicked and those who dwell there. 
So what does the Lord do in our lives? He, at times, he allows storms. He allows floods. Listen, he even allows us to be cast into the deep because it's there we have the opportunity to wake up and wake up and long for his presence. As the psalmist says in Psalm 16, he says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And oh, the presence of the Lord, loved ones, oh, the glory of the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord there is beauty. In the presence of the Lord there is glory. In the presence of the Lord there is freedom. In the presence of the Lord there is majesty and grace and love and peace. The presence of the Lord. When you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there is nothing else you want in this life. When you have encountered the living God, everything else seems as dung. Everything else does not even come close and I pray you know what I'm talking about I pray you understand the satisfaction and the glory that is found and the presence of God can you recall a time in the last few weeks I pray or months where you have been in the presence and the glory of the Lord and there he is and the reverence that comes in and the joy that comes in and the distractions that fall away and the peace and the love and the volume of your voice and the prayers of your heart and the tears in your eyes this is what happens when we come under the presence of the Lord there's no place no place we'd rather be it makes every trinket and every device of this world seem as dung as nothing because that is what it is compared to the glory and the majesty of our living God do you know what it means to be in the presence of the Lord see and this is what God does he brings storms upon our lives to get us in a place of desperation that we might begin to see I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and there is nothing else that I want just this past Sunday, we had our annual general meeting, and that can be a night of information. It became a night of glory that God showed up in the presence, at least for me, he did. And it was such, if you're a member, these are the things that you were asked to come to. I remember coming home from that night and putting my boys to bed and just talking to them and saying, man, it was a great night. God showed up. It was just amazing. I just felt so over my oldest son. He says, Dad, what is it? how do you know when the presence of God is there? I said, well, there's no science to this, son, but... You know, often just the joy, there's, 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 there's the reverence, there's all the distractions seem to go away, the singing, the prayers. Often tears fill my eyes when the Holy Spirit fills me and the brokenness that sets in and the love I have. And he was kind of talking about a little bit, you know, I've been in a couple of services and I, I think after the sermon was preached and the song was being sung at the end, I just, I just sense the Lord working in my heart and tears kind of filling my eyes. I said, that's so great, that's so great. And my younger said, yeah. My younger son, he said, yeah, Dad, I got tears in my eyes too one time. I got something stuck in my eye. Well, at least he's honest, right? At least he's honest. But just to know, to know the beauty and the glory again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you beg God. You beg God for this. You beg God for this. You can't live life after life and year after year of not knowing the presence of God. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's our guarantee. I mean, he longs to be active in us. Too many believers are going through the motions. Too many believers are just sitting there doing nothing. Too many believers have no passion. Too many believers are dead, seemingly. How can that be so... Wake up, church. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. Asking God to fill your heart with him. You don't think he wants to do that? You don't think he wants to overcome you? You don't think he wants to get glory through your life? You don't think he wants you to taste and see just how awesome he is that you might fall on your knees and give him all the praise and all the glory and all the way. You don't think he wants to do that in your life? You better believe he wants to do that in your life. Ask him for it. Beg him for it. And I believe he will answer that prayer and your life, your family, this church is changed. It's changed. Ask him for it. Beg him for him. Remember, 
The presence of God is not God coming here so I can be more about me. If you want this, listen, you want him. You want him. You don't want him to do something for you. You want him for him. That's the difference. He's not a vending machine. He's a God that deserves and holds all the glory. And notice, you're here today and you feel so far from God. You are not here today without hope. Jonah, in verse 2, says, I'm basically, I'm in hell, Sheol. He says he is drowning, verse 3. He says his life is being taken, verse 5. And verse, in the second half, verse 5, seaweeds wrapped all around my head. That can't be very pretty. And yet notice, in this place, he finds hope. Why does he find hope? Because, listen, he finds his God. That's why. And that's why God sends the storm. That's why God tosses them over. That's why God swallows them with a great fish. Because in the end, Jonah begins to, again, find his God. When I'm in darkness, I long for light. When I am distant, I long for his presence. Thirdly, when I am desperate, I cry out for his vision. When I'm desperate, I cry out for the vision of God. Look at verse 7 now. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, I'll sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And then he says salvation belongs to the Lord. Isn't, isn't verse 7 so interesting? Notice, when life is nearing its end, we find out what we really believe. Do you see that in Jonah's life? He found out that he believed in Yahweh. That's what he found out. He also found out as he cries out to God that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And the Lord saves the crushed in spirit. I want you to see here, the closer that Jonah draws to the Lord, the more clear his vision becomes. So as he gets desperate, all of a sudden, he begins to remember what's true. He begins to pray what's true. He begins to preach what's true. He begins to praise who's true. And then he professes, finally, salvation belongs to the Lord. Notice, he draws close to the Lord. All of a sudden, I hate the idols. I hate the idols. All of a sudden, thanksgiving from his life. All of a sudden, the gospel becomes so dear to him because he's so close to God now. When the storm didn't come, he was asleep in the boat. No gospel, no thanksgiving, no hatred for idols. None of that. But enter the storm. Enter the tossing over. Enter the fish. And now we see desperation leading to the gospel, leading to thanksgiving, leading to a brokenness of prayer to his God. I want you to see, loved ones, our most desperate times can often lead to our clearest moments of our vision before God. Desperation can be so powerfully used. Yesterday was Saturday, June 6th. One year ago yesterday, we held a funeral here at this church for a young man who was part of our church family, named Timothy Colder. Tim was a young, strong, vibrant man. He was a lifeguard. He was uh, training for the police force. He had entered into the army. He went on a canoe trip in May of last year. Some of you know this, many of you do not. With three other friends, four of them, on a canoe trip in Algonquin Park. That stage of the year, the water is so cold you fall in. It can be very serious and very dangerous. We don't know exactly what happened. The four of them, they were in this canoe trip and they fell in the water. They weren't wearing life jackets. 
four of them. Remember, he was a lifeguard. Strong, strong man. Two of them made it to shore. Two of them did not. Timothy was one of them who did not. When the water is that cold, it's only a matter of time, the minutes creak by, where your muscles literally begin to freeze and cease to move. And it doesn't matter how sharp your mind and how much you know what's happening, you can't control anything physically within your body. And it's only a matter of time before the water engulfs. One of the gentlemen who made it to shore, at some point turned 200 yards away, heard Timothy specifically, calling out to his God in complete desperation, in prayer, and saying specifically the Lord's Prayer as well. 200 yards away, how, how loud are you yelling at that point? It's fascinating to me in this tragedy within our church that has grieved and hurt so many people. It's fascinating to me that God in his grace and mercy gave this young man who had a lot of, I think, strong beliefs and a lot of kind of good places, but kind of just like kind of in, out, in, out. But in that moment, he gave him the ability with moments to spare to say, what is it that I actually live for? What is it that I actually, when it all comes down to it, loved ones, when it all comes down to it, and you know how short your life is, you find out what you really believe. And we believe Timothy in that moment found out what he truly believed. That life was not about leisure. Life was not about girlfriends. Life was not about money. Life was not about fulfilling self-desires. All of a sudden, all of that is gone. And with the moments he has, just imagine that. He calls out to his God in complete desperation and distress. I wonder if there's anyone here today and you're playing the game and you're just going through the motions and God's one compartment of a whole bunch of others in your life and you're like, I'll just wait, I'll just wait. Really? How long will you wait? Will you wait until it's too late? It's too late when you're standing before the Lord and you've got nothing. You've got nothing. Say, well, I got this, I got the world, I got this. You need his son. Are you going to play the game? Are you going to keep playing the game? Sort of there, not there. Listen, listen. How much time do we actually have? That's under God's sovereignty. And could it be that you are here right now today to understand Jesus Christ is the answer for your life? Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is the only one who can set you free. And young man, young woman, old man, old woman, whatever it is, whoever it is in this place, you've been going through the routine of Christianity for too many years, but it's never actually been real. How long will we wait? What's it going to take? What's it going to take to wake you up? God is so kind and so merciful that he has spared us to this point that we might turn and follow him. Someday the game will be over, and the moment it's over, it's no longer a game. Please, Lord, I pray you be speaking to people here today about yourself, that you are Savior and you are God. In the darkness, I call for light. When I'm distant, I call for his presence. When I'm desperate, I cry for his vision. And fourthly, when I'm dependent, I see, I see his deliverance. So notice the phrase in verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Notice only when that phrase is spoken that verse 10 shows up. 
And verse 10 says this, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the sovereignty of God. This is the grace of God. This is the love of God. Notice the form of Jonah's deliverance. He was vomited out of dry land, probably not the way he would have chosen. But see, when you're broken, you don't care what God does. You're not worried about your pride at that point. You just want to see God move in your heart and your life. Can we be the same way? Notice it's here three days and three nights. We learn that from the final verse of chapter 1 in the belly of the fish. And notice it's Jonah's dependence now that finds his deliverance. Salvation, belong, salvation belongs to the Lord. And God's like, hey, now you're ready. Now you're finally ready. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he is thrown onto dry land to now go preach to Nineveh. Loved ones, it's only by our dependence that we will see our deliverance. And our dependence is, is, is seen by faith alone, faith in Christ alone. Only through dependence do we find our deliverance. And isn't it fascinating that Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. He pulled out the story of Jonah and he said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish... So will be the Son of Man three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And just in case you're hung up on, Jesus wasn't dead for three days and three nights. In Jewish language, any part of any, part of any day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, is three days and three nights. That's how they spoke, okay? So don't get distracted by that. It's the exact same thing as what's being said here. Jesus says, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What are we learning here? We're learning that it's the deliverance of Jonah it becomes a foreshadow of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jonah was thrown into the sea. Jesus was nailed to a cross. Both places of desperation and death. Jonah was in the fish. Jesus was in the tomb. Both three days and three nights to see life after death. Jonah vomited, was vomited on dry land in deliverance. Jesus was raised to victorious new life, defeating death. It's a foreshadow of a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the key to making this comparison is what Jesus also says in Matthew 12. He says, but something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is so much greater. And now, loved ones, now this is the gospel. This is the gospel. When I am in darkness, Jesus Christ is my only true source of light. It's Jesus Christ that I must call to and cling to. When I am distant, the presence of God is only found through Jesus Christ. When I am desperate, the only true vision I will ever truly know is found through Christ alone, through Christ alone. When I'm truly dependent and I call out by faith for help, my deliverance will only ever be found in one person, one person alone, Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord. You are here today and God in his sovereignty has spoken to your heart. It's your turn. It's your time to cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation. You say, what do I do? A, admit that you are a sinner. If you're in that place, you have no issues with that whatsoever. It's my sin that has been killing me. It's my sin that has grieved my God. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ died and shed his blood for your sins, for you, because he loves you so much. And he was raised from the dead, defeating death. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. A, B, C, confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's not only Savior, 
He's Lord of everything and everyone. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And you are here today. If there's one person, it's worth it. You are here today and God is leading you to a place to say, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And you turn from your sin and by faith, you embrace the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the gospel. This is why Jonah is in this Bible, ultimately to point us to Jesus Christ. Could you be a Jonah here today? And God is now calling you to say enough, enough. How much time do you have? The games are done. It's time to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us right now. Let's just try to keep still where we are in this moment. I'm led right now just to speak to people that are here in this room right now too. Where maybe you've been talking a certain language for decades. Maybe you've been playing this game called church for years. I want to ask you a question. Do you know for certain that Jesus Christ has saved you? Do you know that you know that the gospel has been fully planted and rooted within your life and heart? The reality is there's people here. I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation, but I am asking you to examine your salvation as the Bible says for us to do that. Do you know that the fruit of God and the Holy Spirit is through your life? I believe today you can. Cry to him. Call out to him. Be Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. I called to the Lord in my distress and, and, and he heard me. I've been driven away by your sight, yet I will again pray and I will see him in his holy temple. I had waves all over my life, yet, 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 God has brought my life from the pit, my Lord and my God. You call to him and you ask him to renew you, to revive you, to save you, to flat out regenerate you in the things of Jesus Christ. Today could be your day. For the believer who's been going through the motions and apathy has ruled your life and the idols of this world have controlled you, we repent of that now. We repent. Oh God, restore my soul. Oh God, revive my heart. Oh God, I pray to you, Lord, Lord, could you even in this moment, would you grant the freedom of your Holy Spirit in your presence? God, could you bring brokenness upon the lives of certain people here even now because you are so kind, not that we deserve it, but you're so kind, you're so gracious, you're so awesome, you're so good, you're so sovereign that even now, Lord, I ask of you by faith, you will descend upon specific individuals and give them the gift of tears of repentance, the gift of faith, the gift of love, the gift of brokenness, and allow them, Lord, for the pride to be gone and the love of Jesus Christ to overwhelm them. Oh God, would you do that, that you might receive glory. No one else, but that you alone may receive glory. And Lord, I pray as a church family, as we now prepare to take the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, that we would not do this if we do not know you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, please do not take this because it has no meaning and the Bible warns us about that. But if you do know Jesus Christ, maybe with tremendous reverence and gratitude 
and celebration. You will hold the symbol of his body and the symbol of his blood. And you will say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. This, this is the symbol of my salvation and salvation belongs to the Lord. Maybe a sweet and precious time as we remember all I have is in Christ alone. All the good I have is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the glory is found in Jesus Christ alone. Work through this church, Lord. Work through this church. Life is so short. Life is so short. Help us to live for you now. Servers, you may come forward now and distribute the elements. I want to remind you that the bread and the juice is stacked together, so please take two cups, one on top of another. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray you would use it in Jesus' name. Amen.